0: Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and hopefully that little uh, video gets you kind of motivated for where we're taking this whole series that we've entitled Training Camp. The idea behind Training Camp is to get players ready to play in the season. The idea behind this series is to get us all ready to play for whatever God has in store for us. As Christians, God wants us to be useful in his kingdom. He has work for us to do. The Bible tells us that he's planned from eternity past. And today, I hope this will be a real encouragement for us to gain victory over some sinful habits and other things that have taken root in our lives, because God wants us to have self-control. Without self-control, oh my goodness, if we give in to any of our passions or desires or appetites completely, it can sideline us completely. And in our society today, we talk about this way too freely, and we even joke about it. Somebody's a shopaholic, somebody's a spendaholic, somebody's an alcoholic, somebody's a workaholic, and we all go, whoa, we're all aholics about something. Well, God doesn't want us to be bound up in anything. He wants us to be useful. And if we're going to be useful, today I hope this will be a pep talk for us to surrender some some parts of our lives to the Lord, and so he can give us self-control. Would you have a word of prayer with me, please? Lord, today I mean for this to be a great word of encouragement. Your Bible, your word, Lord, that you've given us to guide us in every part of our lives. Father, well, this is an amazing, powerful truth that, Lord, you want us to have self-control. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak, that you'll move me out of the way, and you'll teach us some things we need to know about trusting you and surrendering every part of our lives to you. If there's already an issue in your life where you say, Lord, you know this part of my life's out of control. Just in a moment of silence, we'd say, Lord, I need a word of encouragement. I need some hope. I need some strength. If there's something in your life where that would be the case, we'd just say that now and say, Lord, I need some hope. He'll hear you. Well, Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about self-control. If you need a pen, uh, to fill in the blanks or uh, take some notes, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you. We're going to jump right in. God wants us to live godly lives and promises to help us become like him. I'd like to be godly, but I don't know if I can. Well, here's good news. God wants you to be godly. God wants you and me to be godly more than I want to be godly. He wants what's best for us. He knows the best plan for our lives and wants us to help. He wants to help us find it. By his divine power, Second Peter 1 says, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, uh, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. I want to escape the world's corruption. I want to live the life that God has for me. And the good news is the Lord says, I'll help you do it. If you thought Christianity was just about coming to God so you don't go to hell when you die... Well, there are certainly promises of eternal, sal- eternal life and salvation through Christ, but there's more. There's the wonderful promise that if we ask Christ into our hearts, that the Holy Spirit really can fill us and change us from the inside out and make us brand new people. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen. That's our promise. That's a promise from the Bible. and That's the first note in your outline. God promises to give us power and love and self-control. And If you'd circle the word self-control. You may never have looked through the Bible. You may not have spent any amount of time thinking about self-control. You'll see today as we go through these scriptures, it's mentioned a lot. It's an important dimension of my life and yours if I'm going to live a God-honoring life that I learn to control my appetites and desires. You too. It's part of living in this world. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. I don't know exactly what Timothy was doing in his life, that made him intimidated. But uh, when Paul wrote to him, he said, Look, don't be afraid. God didn't give you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self discipline. That's what God wants for you and me. He wants us to have power and love and self control. So I l- say, Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. This is Galatians 5. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And we'll go into those in a minute. But I want you to understand that there's a battle going on. When you and I become Christians, well, we get a new life in Christ. But especially if I become a Christian later in my life, I've established some old sinful habits and some old ways of thinking that need to go. And now that Christ is in my life, those things need to be thrown out. And I'm going to have to take control of those areas in my life and not give in to those desires. When I was a pagan, I gave in to those desires because that's what pagans do. And by pagan, I just mean a non-believer. I'm living life according to the way everybody else lives life. Apart from God and his desires, just looking out for number one, which is me. So birds fly, fish swim, sinners sin. I never had a choice before, but when the Holy Spirit comes in my life, all of a sudden I realize, when I surrendered my life to Christ, I said, Lord, I don't want to go this way anymore. I'm tired of running my life into the ground. I'm tired of giving in to all these old sinful desires. And the Lord says, good. Give me your life. I'll give you a new one. Now let's work on it. And the whole process from that point forward in my life is a process of sanctification where he is piece by piece, step by step, growing me and helping me to become exactly like him. Can anybody else verify this is what's happening in your life? God's changing you? Yeah. He'll speak to us through the word. He'll speak to us through friends. You'll see all this here. And he's developing in us a whole new identity. Listen to what Paul has to say about this. So these two forces are constantly fighting each other. You're not free to carry out your good intentions. When you follow the desires of the old sinful nature, the results are very clear sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There it is again. Circle it again. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So again, this is what happens when I come to Christ. I say, Christ, I'm a sinner. I've tried to run my own life. I've messed it all up. And so I come to Jesus and I nail my sinful passions to the cross and say, forgive me, because that's where Jesus paid for the penalty for those sins. But then I say, well, God, show me how to live a life Free of those things. Fill me with your spirit. I surrender this to you. I don't want to live this way anymore. And that brings us to the next note in your outline. So, ironically, we grow in self control by surrendering control of ourselves. If I surrender control of myself, I grow in self control. And that's where it all starts. I'm saying, God, I tried to do this on my own. I can't do it. Change me from the inside out, change my passions change my appetites, change my desires, change the way I think. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And if you've been beat up and you've been convinced that you can never overcome a bad habit, a sinful addiction, an old hurt, hear the good news this morning. Jesus Christ makes us new. He makes us new. And we can help each other with this. We can strengthen each other with this. We can do this together with his help. And that's the way it always works. You come to Christ, and he gives us self-control. Our part, then, is to work that out in every day, in all of our uh, situations from day to day. That brings us to point two. The more self-control we have, the more useful we become. And all of this is under the heading of being useful. Again, I mean, if I have no money left because I'm a shopaholic, well, then I can't help my neighbor when he or she is in need. If... I waste all my time because I can't manage my schedule. I don't have time to listen to a friend to pray with him. If I'm bound up in an addiction, I can't help anybody because they need to help me. And you could go all around the horn on this. The devil doesn't care what kind of sin he gets us into. He just wants us bound up. And then he wants Christians to believe you can never change. The whole point of Christianity is just get saved so you can go to heaven someday. But you might as well give up on changing in this world. You can't. You're worthless. This is over. This is over. This is the way you're going to be. Because the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy, and those things are all lies. That's why Peter says to us, in view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self control, and self control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short sighted or blind, forgetting they've been cleansed from their old sins. And so let this be a pep talk to you today. This is what we need to do. We're short-sighted and blind if we don't grow in self-control. You know, it doesn't take us long if you look at an athlete. If you look at an athlete uh, in any sport, you'll find people who are at the top of their game, but something in their private life where either, they're, uh, either they had a chemical addiction to alcohol or drugs or they had anger that was out of control or they had an appetite for relationships beyond their spouse and marriage, whatever it was, and it did in their game. Without self control, they became useless to their team, useless to the sport. And everybody says, wow, that got in their head and they became worthless. Sometimes they even got in trouble with the law and they were removed because they were in jail. And so if you and I are going to live useful lives, well, then we need to focus on gaining self control. And so you could sit there and say, well, John, I thought you said that self control came from the Holy Spirit, from Him living inside of us. I did. And now you're telling me I need to work on self control? Yes. Well, which one is it? Yes. It's both. I mean, again, it works kind of like this. I give my kids a bicycle. They still need to pedal. I mean, I'm there with them, pushing them, holding on to them until they get the hang of it, but they need to pedal. God gives me muscles. Well, I need to exercise those muscles if they're going to grow. I didn't create the muscle. He created the muscle. He gave it to me, but I'm the one who has to exercise it. If you and I are going to grow in self-control, we need to exercise self-control. God will give us the strength we need. He's going to give us others who can help us with this. Our part is to cooperate with him and say, God, I want to grow in this area and not live a defeated life. So here are three things we need to work on. The rest of this message are three things that will help us gain more self-control. Help us pedal, Help us grow stronger. This is God's desire for you and me. He'll give us all the strength we need. Our part is to cooperate. To gain more self-control, so first of all, to gain more self-control, we need to set our mind on God's promises. It begins with our minds. This is where spiritual warfare takes place, is in our minds. If the devil can convince you there's no sense in trying, you won't try. If the devil can convince you that you're worthless, you're, you'll believe you're worthless. If the devil can convince you no one else needs to know anything about you, you don't need any accountability or any help, then you won't get any accountability or help. And he can keep you in bondage and keep you on the sidelines. You know, I loved it when my kids were playing junior high football. All of them went through training, and uh, then the season started, and the best players get out on the field first. They're starters, and then uh, the coach will sub people in. Well, every kid wants to play. And apparently the strategy to get in the game is to stand as close to the coach as you possibly can during the game. And so if you watch a coach on the sidelines, there's this little amoeba of kids that are just, every time he walks, they're all walking with him. They're all standing there smiling at him. I'm ready. Put me in, coach. Because they want to play. And if you're a coach, that warms your heart. You're still not going to play that kid. He couldn't run out of sight in a month. But anyway, this kid, this kid you're going to put him in. But it warms your heart. They all want to play. You know what the Lord wants? He wants us to want to play. If I could inspire anything, it's this, the Lord has plans for you. There are people that need the Lord. You are the ideal person to help them. You are the perfect person to step in. You might be the doorway that opens God's grace to your whole family. You might be the person who gives the right aid at the right time that changes an entire company or school, or neighborhood. God has plans for you. Do not listen to the lie that you can't overcome sinful habits. You can never change. Do not believe it. And that's why it starts with our mind, because if we believe those lies, we're going to be bound up forever. And we're not even going to give it a chance. We're not going to give God a chance. So we need to start with our minds so we can set our minds on God's priorities. Paul in three places in the New Testament, Colossians, Romans, Philippians. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's, any excellent, if, there's anything, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. If you and I want to get in the game, if you and I want to be useful, if you and I want to gain self-control, first of all, it means that we've got to set our mind on the things above, on truth, and not believe lies, because there are a million lies out there. I mean, as Americans, we don't like to hear about self control. Self improvement? Oh, yeah. Self indulgence? Oh, yeah. Self control? Self denial? Oh, no. And that's a big lie. You don't have to do that. Nobody's perfect. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. An extension of that? God doesn't even expect you to get better. Besides, all that matters is that you're saved. That's not all that matters. You matter. Your spouse matters, your kids matter, your best friend matters. And God wants us to be a part of being salt and light to the whole world. If I'm sidelined by some indulgence that has control of me, some appetite that's just running away with my time and my money, or even my health, I'm useless. And so we've got to get our minds set on the things that are true and right. And that brings us to a life application. A time-tested discipline that helps us develop control of our minds is a daily quiet time, a daily devotional. Fifteen minutes at the start of the day, thirty minutes if you've got it, where you read the Bible, listen to what it says, write down a few thoughts in a journal so you won't forget it. It's like manna for the children of Israel in the wilderness, just enough food for the day. If you and I will do this every day, God will speak to us every day. So he's going to tell me how to get my appetite under control. He's going to tell me how to get my money under control all in just those 15 minutes. Well, no. I mean, there's other opportunities. I mean, we have Celebrate Recovery uh, sessions for people who struggle with addictions. We can help you find those. We can help you find financial peace sessions to gain control of your spending. We can help you with all sorts of things. If you struggle with alcohol addictions or other things, we can help guide you to the right place and get you counseling and prayer and all sorts of things. But it starts with getting our attitude right every day. And if I read the Bible every day, it'll show me my motives. And it'll point out things in my life that aren't right. And yours too. In fact, what's so amazing is if you get on a Bible plan, and I hit this now nearly every week all the time where I'm talking about how you can get the Bible on your phone through YouVersion, Bible.com. If you just get on into a Bible reading plan, you'll be amazed as you start to read through this. There'll be several days every week where you go, well, my goodness, this was something I started at the beginning of the year, but this is so timely. This is as if God planned this just for me. Can anybody else verify that? If you read your Bible, it'll be just like it's for you. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, please get one. If you haven't set up a time for a daily devotional, please start today. To gain in self-control, I need to focus on truth. And if I will focus on God's truth first, he'll guide me into more truth all throughout the day. Because it'll expose my bad attitudes and wrong thinking. If I'm going to surrender the things that need to be surrendered, it starts with my mind. Secondly, to gain self-control, we need to intentionally set limits on all of our desires, healthy limits. I need to set healthy limits on my desires, and so do you. There is no single desire in our life that we can just give its head, you know, like a horse, just let it go wherever it wants to go. We've got to rein it in. There's no single desire I can just let it go whenever I want. Paul says, do you not know that those who run in a a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win, and everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. Please circle that. There it is again, in all things. In what? In all things. An athlete does this, he says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. An athlete will train himself, exercise self-discipline, both on the track and off the track, so he can compete for a trophy or a medal that will tarnish or get lost or be given away after he dies. But you and I, Paul says, we're we're involved in this for an eternal prize. The souls of our best friends, our neighbors, our kids. Therefore, run in such a way as not without aim. That's how I run. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I've preached to others I myself should be disqualified. And Paul says, look, I've got to train my body. I've got to say no to some of my desires if I'm going to be all that God wants me to be. And that brings us to the note, we need self-control in every area of our lives. Every area. If you came here today and didn't want your toes stepped on, please leave now because you're about to have your toes stepped on. I picked a number of different scriptures here. There's not a one of us that's going to get out of the room unscathed. Because the Bible says that, um, warns us that we need control in many areas of our lives. Here we go. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Some of us, we need to control our spending. We don't have a budget. Don't have any idea where all our money's going. And it sidelines us. We'd love to be involved in missions. We'd love to help somebody when they're in need, no money left over, nothing to give. The Bible says we need to control our spending. If you need help, please call us. Financial Peace University starting this fall. Here's another one. Don't join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. The Bible says that if we drink too much or eat too much, we sideline ourselves. We have an eating problem, an obesity problem in Alabama. Obesity is over 32% now in Alabama. Ten years ago, it was 27%. When I moved here in 1990, it was 11%. We have three times as many obese people in Alabama as we did 25 years ago when I moved here. I Man, I hope you caught it before. It says, Paul said he ran in such a way, he boxed in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body. That's not buffet my body. I just want to make sure we understand the translation. <laughs> well, I thought he buffeted his body. I buffet mine twice a week. <laughs> That's not what it means. Hey, we're going to have to say no to some of these desires. And you might have said, well, I can't gain control over this. There are plenty of people that would tell you when they finally surrendered their eating and things, they ate when they felt insecure. They ate when they needed comfort. They never ran to God when they needed comfort. They never ran to God for their security. If you struggle with this, please talk to one of our site pastors. We can help you get in groups that can help you with this. I told you, this is, I mean, it goes on If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. So John, you're telling me not controlling my tongue can ruin my life? Do I need to defend that? Is there anybody here that doesn't believe that? Good heavens. Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. See, again, the devil doesn't care. If you spend too much, eat too much, drink too much talk too much. He doesn't care. Just don't change. That's just the way I am. I'm just a hothead. My dad was a hothead. I'm a hothead. That's just the way I am. Sideline. Why don't you want to go to church with me? Because you yell and scream at your family in the front yard. I don't want to be like you. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. The temptations come, no resistance. And that's what it's talking about. You don't believe that's a problem? Just try driving past that hot donut light at Krispy Kreme and you'll know what he's talking about. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Well, I thought we were saved by grace, not by performance. That is true. So I can do anything. Well... No. I mean, when you come to Christ, you nail those sinful passions to the cross. You came to Jesus because life was going the wrong way. Why would I want to keep going the wrong way? I mean, the Bible writers are horrified at the idea that, hey, I would just want to continue going the wrong way as long as I'm saved. God has plans for us, His plans for you. Don't you believe the lie that? Christian work is only for the professionals like me. Don't you believe the lie that you need a seminary degree in order to tell somebody about Jesus? Don't you believe the lie that you're not qualified, you don't know enough, you haven't done enough? You're the perfect person to be a witness for Christ in your family. You're the perfect person in your school, in your neighborhood. You are. And God's put us each at places where he wants us to be. That's why we've got to get our minds right. That's why we've got to surrender ourselves and say, hey, no desire is good. I can't give any desire. I can't give into it all the time. It'll corrupt me. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. There are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. Please circle self-control. He'll be lost because of his great foolishness. Any desire can become harmful. Yeah, even love for our kids. I mean, I can want so much the best for my kids that now I'm not, I stand up for them in school even when they should learn to fight their own battles. They're helicopter parents. The kids go off to college, sophomores in college, and the mom is calling the professor trying to see if she can get their assignments lessened for a 20-year-old. And I talked to a college professor not long ago and he said, that actually happens. The desire is to love the kid, but now it smothers them. Any desire can be carried too far. So here's a life application. Two time-tested disciplines that help develop self-control are fasting and observing the Sabbath. Just saying no to desires, just so we get in the habit of saying no. If you write in the margin, saying no. Fasting is saying no to food for a day or for a meal. I fast one day a week myself. I eat dinner. I don't eat till the next dinner. I mean dinner the next day. And you'd be amazed at how many times in a day I can walk to the refrigerator and stand there and realize I don't even know why I'm here. Because we are so used to indulging every whim, every appetite. And so now if I don't have a meal scheduled, well, then I got a whole extra hour for an extra quiet time, extra prayer. That lunchtime, Now it becomes an additional prayer time. So I can take my mind off myself and onto the things of God. But I have to say no. Now on the back side of your outline you'll see a a resource here. It's called Fasting for Dummies. There's a website. That's what it's actually called. Because most of us in America don't know anything about fasting. We know about feasting. We just don't know fasting. You mean skip a meal on purpose? Why would I want to do that? to tell my body no we won't die if we miss a meal and if for some reason you have a health condition you can't fast you need to eat regularly okay fine fast from this for a day fast from social media don't get on facebook for a whole day one day a week john i can't do that You and I will be amazed if we turn these things off for a whole day how much time we waste. How about television? I told you, I mean, I can keep going until we all feel guilty. (laughs) We have to learn to say no. That's the point of fasting. No to myself, yes to God. I want your priorities in my life. I want your strength in my life. And God, I'm going to buffet my body. I'm going to say no to myself, so I can remind myself who's in charge here. My body is surrendered to Jesus. He is Lord of my life, not my desires. No. Not this meal. Not this day. No. The same thing goes with Sabbath. I mean, that's discipline for workaholics. The Lord said, hey, I want one day out of seven. That's mine. You rest on that day. I'll provide everything you need, but you're going to have to trust me because it's going to look like, well, Lord, if I worked harder, I could get farther ahead. I know, but I want you to trust me. I didn't make you to be working machines. It's going to destroy you. I have plans for you, and I'll be a witness to all your friends that you live differently, and you have faith in Almighty God who can provide for you and gives you rest. That's the purpose of Sabbath. Sabbath a time to rest, a time to do good. I don't have time to help people, Lord. I'm too busy. We'll take a day of rest. Get some sleep, rest, even use part of it to do good that day. Jesus did. Why wouldn't we? We can say, "No. I'm not going to be a workaholic. No. I'm not going to give in to every desire." And God help me with this. I need self-control. I don't want to be driven by my appetites. So we gain more self-control when we set our minds on God's priorities. We gain self-control when you and I um, set set definite healthy limits on our desires. And thirdly, you and I gain self-control through relationships with other believers. I mean, the good news is we're not in this alone. We can help each other. You might be strong in one area where I'm weak. I might be strong in an area where you're weak. And I can help you, you can help me. That's the idea of church. It's why we sell connect groups here over and over again. If you're not in a connect group, please get in one. We're forming them right now. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Jesus' return. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That first verse, it says we can encourage each other. Hey, let's go. You can do it. I'll go with you. As iron sharpens iron, that reminds us sometimes when you get accountability, sparks fly. You'll see it more in the next verse. Let the godly strike me. It'll be a kindness. If they correct me, it's soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. Man, you have a true friend. You start running every day, and you're going to have a running partner. All of a sudden, at 6 o'clock in the morning one day, there's a knock on the door. Hey! You get to the door all groggy, you're stealing in your pajamas. Get your running shoes on. We're running, remember? Oh, I overslept. No, you hit the snooze bar three times. Get your rear end out here and start running. And then all of a sudden when you run in the race six months later, you turn and say, thank you. I never would have done this if you hadn't been the one to get me up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, why would that only be true about running? It's not. It's true about reading the Bible. It's true about taking Sabbath. It's true about fasting. It's true about prayer. It's true about any area in our lives we want to grow. And we believe the lie. I don't need to tell anybody my weaknesses. Never tell anybody your problems. Never tell anybody your shortcomings. Never admit to anything. You're fine. Well, who's telling us that? The devil. So we stay in bondage. We will never experience self-control. And we're sidelined. We're useless because he wants us out of the game. I mean, this is what the Bible says. My friends, God wants us useful, and we can help each other. Well, how do connect groups fit in that? So we're going to just spend the whole time every week confessing our sins? No. You have discussions. You have encouragement. But out of that connect group is where you're going to build relationships with people. People you can meet with during the week, have a cup of coffee, maybe meet for accountability once a week. Pray for each other. Where else are you going to meet people like that? The grocery store? At work? Maybe. Your chances of meeting other Christians who will hold you accountable that can help you go way up when you intentionally invest time in that small group. I hope this makes sense to you, what we're trying to do to help you. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. We can help each other up when we fall too. I can help get you started. I can encourage you. I can slap you. You can slap me. I can help you back on the path when you fall off. Please don't come up and slap me afterward. Let's go. God has great things in store for you. Do not believe the lie that you're not good enough to contribute to the kingdom of God. God saved you. You are his child. Do not believe you cannot overcome the problems in your life. The Holy Spirit will give you power, the desire to do what's right, and he'll help you overcome your fears. Oh, if I can just say that, it's like the last life application, a time-tested method that helps us develop self-control is joining a connect group. If nothing else, it can help you overcome your fears. I know people who've joined a connect group, they were afraid to pray. And now they can pray. They, did, they were afraid they wouldn't know how to read the Bible rightly. Now they can read the Bible. They were afraid they couldn't reach out to their friends. Now they can reach out to their friends. They were afraid they'd never gained control over some area in their life. And now they have victory over it. And they go, it's because my connect group stood with me, because my accountability partner prayed for me. And now I know that I can change. God's using me at my office. God's using me in my marriage. God's using me in my family. It's amazing. If you long for that kind of testimony, if you want to get in the game, we'll get in the game, we'll help. Don't believe the lies that you're stuck, you're worthless, you can't do it. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you all your sins. He gives us his holy spirit to give us power and love. And Peter said, "Add to your faith goodness, and add to your goodness knowledge, and add to your knowledge self-control. We read that a little bit ago. It should remind us that we'll self-control when we, comes when we know this. When we get our mindset right. Huh. And we surrender every area of our lives. And so even after we gain control in one area, now what? Well, let's work on the next one. And by the time we die, man, the Lord has changed us completely. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just want us to have victory in Jesus. I want us to have new lives. I want us to have love and power and self-control. And Lord, I pray that you will fill us with a hunger and a desire to know your word. I pray that you will burn within us, that we will desire to be a part of relationships with other believers where we can find accountability and encouragement. And oh God, I pray that we would desire to surrender every area of our lives to you. Not just some. Again, if there's an area in your life where you know it's out of control, it's controlling you, could be fear. Could be food. Could be money. Could be alcohol. Could be pornography. Whatever it is, would you surrender it to the Lord right now? If you know something's controlling you, would you say, God, you know this is controlling me. I nail it to the cross. Jesus died for this sin and Lord, I nail it to the cross and I want to leave it there. Please give me victory over this sin and show me where to find help and encouragement. I want a new life. I want to be useful for your work in this world, Lord. Oh God, I pray that you will show us how to fast, and how to observe the Sabbath so we can learn to say no to some of our desires just so we stay in practice. I don't want to be driven by my appetites. I want to be driven by you, Lord, and your leading. God, you gave me the bike, now help me pedal. You gave me the muscles, help me get them strong. You gave me self-control, Lord, help me exercise it. Pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.